0: Uh, Kevin and I started right about the same time uh, at the beginning of 2014. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of uh, marketing or advertising going on for Skywatcher, particularly in the U.S. So we were defined by our price point. And they figured that's just all we were, was a value product. Um, and then Kevin and I jumped in and started actually put setting up some messaging and some branding and and our reputation has improved since then. There's very few things that get more popular the more difficult you make it and except for juggling where you take a game of catch and try to make it as difficult as possible but yeah simplifying anything makes it better.
1: Jeff Simon and Kevin Lagore from Skywatcher are in the house so let's get started. in telescopes and accessories. All right. Well, welcome guys,
2: Jeff, Kevin.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah. I'd like to just right out of the gate, go ahead and say that um, this is a small industry. And I think if we're going to be making room for an additional dynamic duo here, you know, I feel like we need to really kind of talk about separating our space because I think that me and Tony have kind of carved that out for ourselves. And then you're kind of encroaching right now being on our podcast.
1: Yeah. You know, we talked about that. Uh, you know, if you're going to be, you're gonna be a dynamic duo. You're gonna to have to come up with another kind of another kind of shtick, because that's our thing.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. our, our stated purpose from the very beginning was global domination. So we'll just have to like wipe you guys out eventually. So uh,
1: All right. Well then it's on. It's on then. Okay. All right. Well,
2: in that Take case, on, welcome to our podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome. <laughs> so Thank so you for letting interview. us infiltrate. Enemies yeah. of ours, yes. Yeah, no
2: no, Skywatcher, Skywatcher. You guys are doing great things. I actually use your uh, Star Adventurer all the time. I love that little thing. I love it.
0: That is one of our very best selling products. So I'm glad you like it.
2: Yeah, you absolutely nailed it with just the the portability and the ease of use. I love that it's powered by AA batteries instead of having to have like an AC or DC power connection because it just eliminates so many things. You know, cables mainly. I. I despise cables. Yes. So any, anything I can do <laughs> to get rid of them is like, you know, I would, I would power everything off AA batteries and replace them constantly before I'd run one cable to something, you know?
0: They yeah, just, well, we hate cables too. Thus, we have the new Wi-Fi module for all of our mounts. So.
2: Yeah. No, I love that. That's the direction everything should go. Like, how is it I can have so much happen on my cell phone with no cables at all but we still have to have cables to do everything in astronomy.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's you don't need cables to play doodle jump, but you need it to do astrophotography.
2: <laughs> and that is <laughs> what I'm using my cell phone for. Doodle jump. <laughs> 100% of the time. So what, uh, let's talk about Skywatcher. You know, you guys are actually, um, I, when I first got into the hobby, I thought of you guys as a Dobsonian company. You probably
1: get
0: uh, that
2: a lot. Pretty
0: much everybody did. Before, uh, Kevin and I started right about the same time uh, at the beginning of 2014. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of uh, marketing or advertising going on for Skywatcher, particularly in the US. So we were defined by our price point. Uh, you know, people saw the Dobbs on Amazon or on other platforms, and they figured that's just all we were, was a value product. Um, and then... Kevin and I jumped in and started actually set, put, setting up some messaging and some branding, and and our reputation
2: has um, improved since then. Well, yeah, you have a you have a lot more than Dobbs now. I mean, you have a huge product catalog, all the way up to like top end level mounts uh, mm-hmm. with the EQ8R. Right? Yes, and yeah, I mean, these are professional astrophotography pieces, and um, way more than like you don't think of a Dob as an astrophotography equipment.
0: <laughs> no, no, we don't. Well, when we started, we had uh, our entire product line were the collapsible Dobbs, the uh, what are now called the Evo Star Doublets, and the Esprit Triplets, and they were all very quality instruments. It's just nobody knew that because they had a value price point, and that's what they were. That's how they thought of them. If they are inexpensive, they must be cheap products, but they really aren't.
2: And it's it's you two that really are, are the ones making all of these decisions for Skywatcher. You're the ones that the next new product is dependent on uh, the ideas that you two have together, right? Is that's kind of how some works. of them. Well, okay. some of them.
0: Uh, Kevin is in constant contact with the engineers and product development uh, mm-hmm. at the factory in China. So if if there's some way that that he sees that we can improve the product, he talks to them and, and and there's a few different products that were developed as a direct result of Kevin talking with the factory.
3: Yeah, it's been kind of fun working with that. So it um Skywatcher being a global entity, there's input from a lot of the other distributors as well. Um but since we are we're not a dealer that is a distributor in a region we are Skywatcher only. Um we work directly with the factory and the engineers so you know while there is input we also have input into products as well
2: that's i mean it's so you're taking input from do you do that from customers as well do you do you get outside input from customers oh yeah 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 that's you you take this feedback and then you you've you know push it into the next development of whatever product is you have coming out
0: yes i mean one of the really important things that we've done from the very beginning is to make sure that we're out in the field at star parties um mm-hmm. uh, and, and talking to the people. It's like, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And, and a lot of times you don't have to ask. People will be very freely giving their information, their feedback. So sometimes for the better, sometimes not.
2: Yeah, well for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Like, hey, uh, I want an APOD button
1: on my next mount. <laughs> yeah. That's that's well, gonna
0: be easy. we're gonna come out with an APOD filter
1: yeah an instagram famous one too when you're at it just uh make that make that button happen as well yeah no problem if you care about me at all as a customer (laughs) you will figure out this button yeah you'll get some of
2: that but you know i i don't know that there's anybody better seated right now to um to have that customer interaction kevin you probably talk to more astronomy people annually than anyone else in the industry i mean with focus and you're always you're always doing another outreach event
3: yeah well it you know it gets boring to be in the backyard and be like hey come look at this Uh, no one cares so um (laughs) yeah yeah, you say
2: that to yourself in the backyard it's yeah
3: it's it's more fun to go out and share it with people and you know through my outreach stuff i get to do that publicly but then through work i get to do that on a kind of a more constructive level but they they do intertwine with each other quite Mm a bit. Uh, I've got some other vendor friends that we like to call it quote unquote professional development. Um, But you joke about stuff where it's like, oh, we're going to do outreach night or whatever. But there's a lot of times whatever you're doing there actually makes it easier to apply to the job because you've been there, you've been in the field. You know, when someone calls up and they're frustrated that this doesn't work, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what that's doing. I just yelled at my mount last night, you know, it, it happens to us. So I I in my head I like to think of Skywatcher as a company for astronomers by astronomers because we did it. Like, I get it. I know why this doesn't work. I know why you don't like that. I know what you want to see because I want to see it. It's like, oh, I want a seven-inch APO refractor. It's like, well, dang, I want one too. So why (laughs) not? And have it be
1: $500, please. I'd like that. We'll we'll
3: get right on that. We'll do like a cardboard (laughs) cutout version and send it out or something. But um, (laughs) We just want to have a good experience for the customers because that's what I would want with my own equipment. So if yeah. if you're not having a good time, then we need to figure out why. And if there's something you want to see, then maybe we'll take that into perspective and apply that in the future. It might take some time, but we're listening. It just sometimes what people want to see. It's going to take time to input that to the factory. Well, and of,
0: yeah, and one of the other things that we do with any any new product that we're bringing in, we don't even talk about it until we've got production samples and are out in the field and have tested it and make sure that it works up to our standards. And then we'll roll it out and get everybody else's feedback.
2: Do you know how much that is appreciated here? Oh, the fact that you're not announcing this stuff, you know, a year and a half in advance and... Well, not that that it doesn't
0: get it. There's a lot of stuff that gets announced through other channels. uh, Like Europe for example, has a number of different places that people will throw it up on their Facebook page or one of the other uh, forums online. It's like, oh, look at this. It's coming out. And like two years later, it actually hits the market. So it's <laughs> a completely we tried- different product.
2: <laughs> yeah. And we tried not to do that very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, I really like that, Kevin. I really respect that. And, you know, we've had so many conversations talking about gear outside of even work just from our own imaging or whatever talking about filters and what to do next and the best way to do it and i really like that because i think it does it brings that element into the industry in your case in the product development capacity where things that should exist now have an avenue to exist right just another avenue where there can be innovation and, and tweaks to things to make it a better user experience i really like that
3: yeah that's um I think it's really easy from a company standpoint to be like, I think we should do this, says the person who's never touched the telescope before. Um, (laughs) And it it gets a little off-putting because our customers can totally figure that out. It's like, hey, I think you should do this. It's like, you want me to go image a quasar with a three-inch refractor? It's like, that should be fine. It's like, dude come on so the quasar um,
2: machine alexa enabled
3: (laughs) so it's i i never like to speak on to something with someone with authority unless i've played with it or tried it or blown it up or broke it myself where it's like you really shouldn't take that apart because i took it apart it was a horrible idea so
1: yeah um
3: it's it's much better to provide support or to push forward on our products or anything like that to be able to put yourself in the position. And you know, three or four years ago, I never wanted to get into imaging. I thought imaging was kind of an egotistical thing, and da 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 da. And
2: why why would it be road.
3: that? Yeah, why would it be? No idea. Why was that your
2: perception? <clears throat> like, i'm just curious because i think you weren't the only one a lot of a lot of people feel that way and I'm, I'm just curious why is that perception and what changed how did you like come to that it's not that or that it was an avenue to actually do outreach that's that's interesting
3: um i still think imaging has a really good way of bringing out ego um mainly because there's so everyone's always trying to like one- up each other and it's not everyone but you do see it and i guess that's just in every hobby, it's just, I think, because imaging is such a output now that that's where it's kind of magnified under. But, you know, it, it's the same thing at any star party where it's like, I've got a 20-inch job. Well, yeah, I've got a 28, yeah. and it's always, you know. I've you know, got a mine. 36. There you go. So it's, yeah, it hasn't um, been
2: collimated in 12 years, but it it's sense. big.
3: But it looks awesome so, out in this field. So uh, imaging to me was – and. Uh, I guess another thing is imaging always seemed kind of like it detached from astronomy. You know, you talk to a lot of people and it's like, Hey, I took this picture of M 42.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. Why? They're like, well, it it was in the catalog. It's like, so you're telling me you put your telescope on that target for 45 hours and you never asked yourself why it was really cool to shoot it. So, um, so it's, actually um, kevin
0: I, I think when when you started making the transition from visual to astrophotography was after we started there's a um a tap house in vista that has a scientific uh, uh theme to way it
3: blank. Yeah. Way blank yeah
2: yeah
0: it and started so,
2: with beer huh?
0: of course all the it best all things started do. with beers <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that kevin was doing when we'd go up there is have at least one of the rigs doing real-time stacking on the yeah. uh, on the monitor on the inside right. and and that's when i think he started seeing people's interest in it and his interest started to develop correct me yeah, if i'm wrong
3: so that probably was getting there um you know, I think for me, I, I don't carry the same interest for imaging a lot of people do. I'm not really after taking pretty pictures. And I know I've talked to Dustin about this before where I'm not really into the color stuff. I like doing black and white and kind of mm-hmm. using it as an extension of visual astronomy um, to see things that I can't normally see. Um, right. So I just didn't pick up the vibe where it's like, I'm going to do PixInsight and I'm going to do you know, this and this and this and process it this way. It, it just isn't my thing, but I appreciate the people who do it. So I don't ever want to feel insult anybody saying, I think it's this or that. Um, uh, now that I've gotten more into imaging and you kind of find your flow and your rhythm on what you like doing and everyone's going to do it. Um, it's been really helpful professionally Because I can put, again, coming back to where I can put myself in that situation. So if a customer is trying to figure out I need back focus or I'm having weird optical problems, I can now be like, oh, I've done that because on my system. And that gives you so much more street cred when you're talking to your customer because it's like, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. I know why this is being this way. And I know Destin and your team over there, are super experienced with imaging so it makes it that you can stand on authority and say I've been there this is how we're gonna fix it or this is how we're gonna set up your rig and make it better because we've done it we've screwed up and we're gonna now that we've screwed up we know how to um, hopefully address unscrew the situation it up. when it yeah when it happens you can speak from authority because you've been there. Right. And imaging for me has been a big thing because that's where the industry's going, that's where people want to get into. So I found it interesting. I wanted to try it was the only thing I really hadn't tried in astronomy, so it's like why not. Yeah. Um but now that I've done it, I'm glad I've done it because it's it's just a different outlet. So
2: Yeah. And you said from the beginning, you were going to mostly shoot um, like hydrogen alpha and they would just be monochromatic images, just black and white, because you were trying to still demonstrate science to people and really show what's there and, and what it is they're looking at. You had a different mission. You know, I tell people all the time, like I'm sponsored by Crayola. (laughs) <laughs> I just like rip the yeah. saturation slider off the side of the computer and keep pushing it. Like my images look like something you'd throw off a Mardi Gras float at a parade, you know. Like, but that's how I but like that's, them.
3: That's cool, and I think finding yeah, yeah. and this is um this is something I think uh a lot of people tend to not get a hold of is kind of finding your voice in your style. And I know you're a photographer too, Dustin. So it it's very much so in the photography world where you kind of <clears throat> find out that I really enjoy shooting birds or I really enjoy shooting this and you kind of get this workflow or style or signature, if you will, to what you're doing and you really enjoy doing that and you just become really good at that. So whether... Um, you know, like your buddy Travis, who travels, he's really good at the landscape and nightscape work. And you like doing the saturated stuff with the big plane wave. That's kind of your thing. And I like doing black and white. And I would like to encourage more people to kind of find their voice. Cause I feel like you go to a lot of these trade shows or conferences and it's just like, oh, if you take this and this and this and process this way, you'll be just as good as I am. And it doesn't mm-hmm. encourage anybody to find their own voice in astronomy or imaging or maybe discover a new way of doing something. So that's what I want to push people more towards is take what people have done, look at what you're doing or I'm doing or someone else and apply what you learn there. But, you know, don't be afraid to go try a different filter or a different method and see what can come from that.
1: Well, the number of people getting involved in astrophotography these days, I think, has has reached an, an, an inflection point because back in the day when I used to just read Sky and Telescope magazine, there were always just a, a handful of astrophotographers whose images were always featured in the back. They had a little section on, you know, uh, what a- amateurs had taken and you always saw the same names. And these were people who really had procedures down and they actually got quite famous. uh by virtue of their images that was all done on film and then of course digital uh, detectors came out they it made it just a order of magnitude easier to take these images and now i think the real the real big thing that's changed in in terms of the convergence of why so many people are getting into it has been the mounts the mounts now allow you to turn it on polar align set up and look at something like if like from the, uh, just outside of a brewery where on the inside you could watch an image being co added and built up over time, this is giving it access to a lot of people that ordinarily wouldn't have it. And the ego thing is interesting because now photographers are adding this to their repertoire. This is one more thing that professional photographers can do that uh, they couldn't before, and they're bringing their skill set onto it. And so, I don't know, there's, a, there's like this convergence of technologies that are that are making this available to a lot of people. And your mounts are, are one of the ones I think that revolutionize the the time-lapse photography aspect of it. You know, these wide-field, you get a Star Adventurer uh, mount put on a, a DSLR, and you're taking qual- image quality or wide-field images that would make the cover of a magazine in the 1970s. So, Well,
0: and one of the things that we're trying to do with the Star Adventurer is – uh, we're kind of using it as a gateway drug for people that are just into like <laughs> well, landscape photography and wouldn't even think about doing uh, astronomy or astrophotography. But we just kind of its like, oh, no, it's landscape. Just go ahead. You just polar align it and you can do these long exposures. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, well, now maybe I can shoot a galaxy or I can shoot yeah. a Nova. You know, it's like, go ahead. And, and a lot of our new products, uh, or at least some of our new products are designed specifically to be the next step between a star adventurer and a full on astrophotography kit.
1: So Jeff, what's happened? How come, how come now that we can get a mount like the star adventurer and other higher end mounts that you get for that can do amazing things at accuracies that would just, make anything from the 70s and 80s uh put to shame all we had back in those days were worm gear drives right mm-hmm. what's what's changed over the decades now that when you turn on a, a mount like a star adventure or, or some of your other mounts it just tracks like crazy you don't need to do much else what's well it's it, changed in the technologies
0: i don't it's not the mechanics because you know uh machining and stuff hasn't changed that much it's, so it's compu- still
1: worm worm gears and stuff well we
0: had uh, a lot of them, yeah, the stepper motors, uh, but I think it's the computing power. You know, now okay. you can, I mean, look at what you can hold in your hand with a phone. You can have that 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 same kind of power is now uh, in a mount that wasn't there before.
1: But, yeah, then
0: Kevin, okay. but Kevin, I think you can speak more to, to the actual mechanics inside the mount.
1: They just seem better now than they ever have been in the past, all the mounts that are out available and for really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, well, it was just it was just something that I was curious about because you know if you look at the old C eights that are that were made you know with with the two with the synchro drives on them the synchro motors on them I agree that stepper motors have certainly improved things quite a bit but it just seems like the tracking and with the go to capability that you have now uh, you can get set up and 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 taking images in a fraction of the time that you ever could before and taking quality images that are just stunning right out of the box for the first time. So Yeah,
0: well, part of that, like you were talking about, they seem to be so much better mechanically. Part of that is just, you know, the evolution of, of products. Uh, you learn with each generation of product and, and mm-hmm. fine tune it. And it's like, well, this worked and this didn't work as well. And, you know, it's like the new uh, the new EQ8Rs that we have or the EQ6Rs. They're, you know, they're a newer version of an older mount but both of them have improvements because of feedback that we've gotten, again, from from our customers in the field. It's like, you know, I really like this, but I wish this bolt was thicker because it'll bend out in the field or it, you know, just little things like that. But after, over time, you just get a better product.
2: Yeah, with each iteration, the products are just getting more and more fine tuned for the actual use. So things are just getting better and mm-hmm. you know tony like he when he was here last he was telling me he's like you know back in my day he likes to start conversations that way he yeah was, i do that he oh, wants gonna start about, doing that
1: yeah. He was it's like, fun. "It's fun. It really irritates people."
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had what you always talk about that C eight. He's like, "I had to hold that thing shoulder mounted and rotate my hips at exactly sidereal."
1: <laughs> it was a sandcast mount with the little holes in the fork <laughs> arms. It was heavy, leaning back oh, at thirty
2: three degrees. Yeah, it was like this whole thing, and he he demonstrated, and I mean, he can do it. Like he he mastered it, so he can do a thirty minute exposure tracked at the hips, which yeah. was that, that's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah,
1: you know, it really. took a while to calibrate all that, but once a, you know <laughs> that's my go I've been go toing for since the seventies, man. <laughs> go toing a verb. Go toing.
2: Oh, Dustin's gonna, go gonna make that, that, that a shirt. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be Tony with a shoulder mounted C eight, go toing. Yeah. Oh man, one arc second. Hey, so eight better than that sometimes
1: yeah that's bad about energy drinks anyway
2: (laughs) (laughs) anyway yeah that little star adventure I really do like you called it the gateway drug right but most of so I know a lot of adventure photographers through Travis and uh that's the one that they're interested in not not just because of you know it opening the door or being simple to use but because it's practical for shooting regularly where, you know, if you're if you're gonna be out, if you're gonna be a camper or a hiker or something like that, you may want to shoot the longer focal length, the big stuff, but is it really practical to carry something out that you have to power and then power a computer with and then, you know, carry out all the batteries and you know, a big tripod, big mount, all this heavy stuff? It's just not. You're gonna bring your camera, your tripod, and now the only additional piece of equipment is just this tiny i mean it's like barely bigger than you know like a coke can or something it's tiny
1: yeah and well and one of the tracking. other things
0: that helps is we've got um some of the the smaller doublets that we've got like the our guide scope of 50 is actually really well suited for doing wide angle astrophotography that some of the images that i've seen people make out of these are, are incredible i mean just amazing you see a lot stuff. of people using yeah. those
2: for that purpose
0: the 50
1: 50- millimeter guide scope
2: yeah. And the okay. 72 millimeter doublet. Yeah. Both of those. What What is the direction then you see? Is that on the, on the entry? Cause I know you kind of, you cover all the bases from entry level up to, you know, like we were just talking about the EQ8R um, if, and you also have triplets. So you have the Esprit line, mm-hmm. but on the entry level side, when you see people getting in at the star tracker and that stuff, what is the progression? What are you seeing people? How does the interest develop and is it consistent across most of the people getting into it.
0: That is a really good question.
3: So what I usually find is I have a lot of photographers who are going to, who are getting started and they obviously are going to start with a tracker because they've already got a nice camera. They've already got a nice collection of lenses and now they kind of understand that they need tracking. So they start with the star adventurer. Um, And Usually they're shooting wide angle. They're like, oh, I'm I'm just gonna do 50 and that I'll be good with that. It's like you're not gonna stop at 50. It's like let's let's be honest here. So, um, so then they they get the longer focal length start to come in. So they they get up to using their 85s or their 7200s at that point. And then they're like, well, I happen to have a 400 or a 600 lens, or it's like, oh, okay, so that's usually where the transition starts to where, you know, you're starting to peak at the level of the Star Adventures capability is around 300 millimeter realistically. Um, and then they want to start shooting longer focal lengths and longer exposures. And that's where you start to see them transition to like our EQM 35 would be the next level up from there because it gives you go-to capability. And now they can do serious auto guiding and they can do 600 millimeter focal length. And then And then I'll have people jump um, to like the EQ6R and then they want to use a telescope. So it it normally starts with a star adventure and a nice set of lenses. And then from there, they generally want a bigger mount because they want to shoot longer. And then somewhere along there is when we start having conversations about telescopes and stuff like that at that point.
2: Yeah. And, and with photographers, I feel like it's an easier conversation because the, the challenging part of astrophotography is the photography portion of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the part where there's, there's a pretty substantial learning curve. But if you're already a photographer, you're used to the editing terminology. You know, there's an entire language attached to it that I think sometimes we all take for granted that we now speak. But getting into it, it's a real challenge because, you know, you don't understand the even the terminology, the aperture, the focal length, any of the stuff that we're talking about now, much less how much actually goes into the process, you know, and so when you're dealing with photographers, I feel like you get to skip a lot of that step. And then you can go directly into the, hey, you already have your kit, uh, you know, with lenses, and you've already got your camera body, you've got everything you need, you know how to use it, you know how to set exposure time. The only problem you have right now is that the earth is spinning. So Mm -hmm. let's solve that problem with this little piece of equipment. And now you have everything you need to start exploring deep space. Well, and that's why I call it the
0: gateway drug, too. I mean, if we're talking, we we specifically go out and look for uh, landscape photographers. You know, that's we go uh, into their magazines, into their trade shows. And it's like, look, you're already out there doing landscape photography. You just need this little tool to do the same thing for nightscapes. And the, the first things they learn is how to polar align. And, you know, and once you learn to do that, the next step up is, it's, it's just like easing them in. It's, it's like when you boiling a frog, you know, you put them in the pot, and they don't even notice what's going on until finally, it's like, Oh, my God, I want to be an astrophotographer. It's, it's, we just got to ease them down that path.
2: Mm. So that's how you boil frogs, huh? Yep.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing it wrong. We wouldn't know from any particular experience. <laughs> what
2: At the end of yeah. that, what do you have? Like, why would you boil a frog? Oh, well, frog, well, frog soup. Come on.
1: Yeah, but the frog's reaction isn't going to be the same. I think as an astrophotographer yeah. who realizes, or a photographer who suddenly realizes he's an astrophotographer. They they, uh, they have guys, the same. Oh man, I'm an astrophotographer now. <laughs> Crap. Well, they have the same.
0: They have the same look on their face when they realize how much they have spent to, to graduate.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Point taken. Point taken. Yeah. By the time they spend all that money on it, I can yes. see you guys at these
2: conventions. Like, get in that soup.
1: <laughs> get in there! What are you doing?
0: Get in there, You're
2: photographer! You get in that yeah. soup.
3: Don't mind normally, me. It's all fine. I, I normally it's going to keep turning as, this uh, knob up. Yep. I normally see it as like, hey kid, you want to buy a watch, and then <laughs> see what happens from there. <laughs> but most of the time <laughs> when we <laughs> yeah, first one's free, man. <laughs> so
1: Kevin, yeah, you got your you got your car trunk open in the back of the parking lot somewhere. Hey,
2: <laughs> hey kid, you want to buy a watch? <laughs>
3: You got the stuff, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, here's oh, you your know star from... adventurer. Hey, you
1: got a star adventurer? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah.
3: I got, I got three. Oh, I could only <clears throat> imagine a, a police officer pulling. What are you guys doing? Well, oh, he's buying a telescope. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, is
1: that what they're calling it now? These yeah,
2: guys. yeah. When when you go to NE for any of the other conventions, Skywatcher is the only booth where they have the car backed up and the trunk open. Oh. That's <laughs> their boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: We find the it's. A... <laughs> and we there's trench us... coats everywhere. There's guys in trench coats. It's like, what the heck?
0: Yeah, we find yeah. it's an, a very effective marketing technique. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, a very creepy one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Psst, uh, we, I think that kind of segues actually into something that. Um, You're kidding. That's like... a segue into something? <laughs> it is. Wow. It is a segue. Um, I feel like at Skywatcher, we. We try to have fun with stuff. We try not to take things really seriously because we know astronomy is kind of a serious gig and we try to have fun with things like we do joke about this stuff in our, if you keep an eye on our ads, there's stupid little jokes in there too. And it's, we try to shake it up a little bit where it's like, we're, we're all here enjoying what we like to do and we can have fun doing that too. So and even at trade shows, we tried it like, you know, we we took an old telescope tube that was made out of carbon fiber and we made a rocket out of it and we launched it because we can. Why not?
2: Um, yeah, why not? And
3: we took that to Neef, So it's, you know, it's just things like that where it's like we are part of the community. We want to have fun. But, you know, we can also joke about stuff, too, to make it more fun, so, like yeah. boiling frogs.
0: Well, one of like one of the rules for uh, one of our uh, ads for the headline will be brainstorming. And the rule is if it makes you groan or it makes you laugh, it's a contender.
2: If it makes you groan. So what 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 is a groan exactly?
0: Uh, well, it's, it wasn't really a joke, but we had uh, Palooza for one of our promotions for the Esprit's. Uh, right. we, we
3: did do- uh, Dobtoberfest. Yeah. Or the, oh, I like that one.
0: One of my favorites was the Dobfather. Father. We're going to make you an offer you can't refuse.
3: <laughs> what was the other? It was a get dizzy on these dope doublet discounts.
2: Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, the, the alliteration.
0: See, see and, and you heard that groan. That's what yeah. we look for.
2: Yeah. That's if what you, you get an eye for.
3: roll out of it, you know, yeah. you hit the marks.
2: Yep. Yeah. So that's a win, huh? If you can oh, really absolutely. just upset somebody's stomach.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, cause if, if they, if, if you groan, you're going to remember it. So it's like, it may not be I the most amazing advertising ever, but it's still memorable. So. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Cause they're going to come up to you and be like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but it was really funny. And I ended up buying one because it was just stuck in my head. It's just like a bad joke. You can't get out of your head and it just keeps playing over and over. It's, you know, it's like those advertisements that you hear all the time in your head. And you're just like, oh, yeah. bubblegum. I can't get it out of my head.
0: It's an astronomical earworm.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. You know, Jeff, you sent me this uh, this 20-inch daub that, that we still use for outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize what I was agreeing to when I you know, said I would carry a 20-inch daub around for outreach. But I'm glad we have it because once we get it there, people are blown away by the views. But, um, oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty substantial commitment carrying a twenty inch dob around. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we
0: we don't take it. We call those the stargates, and we don't take them out as much as we used to because it is a commitment. There's, I mean, we ship those in four different boxes. So,
2: yeah, it's a it's a beast. The mirror alone, it's just there's no way. It's a twenty inch telescope. It's a half meter telescope. Like, yeah, it's it's carrying around a monster, and it's very very tall, but. Uh, We have, you know, we have full staff meetings here where we kick around ideas and things. And we had one of those grown things that actually turned into something pretty funny. But they were like, well, why don't we just take the shroud off of it? We'll throw a dress over the whole thing in a wig and we'll carry around Dabra.
0: We'll bring bring Dabra
2: (laughs) to all of the events, you know, put like a face on it and it'll just be Dabra. I I
0: approve. I, I approve of that 100%
2: so be on the lookout for her i love it that's awesome
1: well i have a question about your solar quest mount i'm i'm a big solar uh, observer i love doing that i have my favorite one of my favorite telescopes is a PST that i have can you tell me a little bit about this is at the same price point as the star adventurer but why a solar dedicated mount what does it do because you know the star adventure has a solar tracking rate on it i could still do that why would i what well, does they, this have on it that makes it better for solar observing?
0: The unique feature on the on the Solar Quest is you don't have to do anything besides set it up and turn it on. It automatically it's got built-in GPS. Uh it it figures you know you have to plug in at the time and date, but it figures out where it is, figures out where the sun is, it slews to it and starts tracking automatically. You don't have to do anything. You don't even
3: have to do that. You don't have to put time and date in. You You put your telescope on it, you power it up, it auto-levels, GPS locks on, and then it's got a a sensor on board that knows finds out where the sun is, and it goes off and finds it, and you give it about five minutes, and it's on the sun, and all you did was push a button, so um, it's really kind of the ultimate solar mount. The only question is, why don't we make a bigger one?
1: Yeah, because well, I was going to ask you: was it designed for more of the PST sized scopes, or uh, what, what's what's the ideal match for this? Yeah,
3: you know, we've had up to like a Lunt eighty on it, so it'll it'll handle a decent sized scope. But you know, oh, for okay. the sixty dedicated sixties, um, it's a real sweet little combo because it only weighs eight pounds. You can you yeah. put your sixty on there and. You pick the whole thing up and walk outside. I've got a PST on mine, or the PST, as I like to call it. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) Yes, it comes in quite handy with your sales methods, I see. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um,
3: But it's an awesome little thing. Or even if you have a white light setup, it doesn't have to be one of the exotic narrowband setups, but you can put it like a Daystar 60 on it. You can put a Lunt 60, Coronado 60. It's a perfect combo for a 60 or smaller um, and you could squeak it on something else. But even for an eclipse, um, the advantage of that would be over a star adventure is you don't have to get up early and polar align it or get close to the pole because it's out as it doesn't care. Um, so
1: That's an excellent point. For someone who's going to an eclipse, it's already stressful enough to make sure you've got what you're going to you know, set up the, so that you can see it and image it properly. Here, that a lot of that is taken away. You just turn it on and let it find it for you.
3: Yeah. And after having done the 2017 eclipse and waking up at four in the morning and polar aligning four mounts and having someone trip on the mount 30 seconds before totality, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, uh, that was sad. That was sad. Um, But um, the solar quest doesn't have that problem because it doesn't matter if it's on the pole. You just, you know, once the sun's up, it's gonna figure out. Okay, it should be over here in the little solar sensor that's on there. It sees the bright spot in the sky and it knows to go there, and it will center it up. And there's a little joystick on the back there that you can make some fine adjustments and centering. But um, it just makes solar observing easy.
1: Can you comment a little bit more about that? That that sensor. What is what's what is it that's that's actually finding and keeping the sun in the
3: in the field of view? um so the the gps figures out obviously globally where right. you're at so it knows the position and then the sensor on board there um just figures out the brightest section in the sky so what i'd like to actually try is try it on like a full moon because i think it just it will register just where the brightest section of the sky is
1: yeah you read my mind because um, i was going to ask about that too yeah
3: that's to be determined for the moon but um that's all that little thing does and
1: also it's not a telescope that actually images a disk or something it just it's it just, just a gets a bright a brightness gradient and that it, it tries to stay on the brightest the brightest peak of that of yeah, that Yeah exactly
3: gradient. and that's all okay. it that's all it does there's not a lot going on in it it is based off of the AZ GTI mount we make and its hardware so the gears are all metal the worms are brass um but it's it it can handle a, a substantial amount of stuff for being so small. And it just makes solar observing so much easier. It's not like you're looking through a little solar finder up at the sun, trying not to blind yourself or trying to get the shadow small on the ground. It just, you know, give it a couple minutes, go get a water bottle and come back. And it's like, whoop, there it is. So, And it tracks all day too.
1: So that's, and this would also work and p- work pretty well. It would seem like if you've got like high thin Cirrus up as well, right? Since it's looking yeah, it, for brightness and not a discrete disc, it would yeah, still and work. It, even if you have that
3: still, still works. Um, it would also work during totality cause we actually covered up the sensor for like an hour and it still kept it in the field. So, um, it, it's able to figure out like the rate that it needs to be at and it tracks quite well, actually.
1: But I just made my wish list. I really want to try this. This is an out. This is a cool-looking mount.
0: Yeah, we we sent samples to uh, Lunt and Daystar to get their feedback, and they're just like, "This thing is amazing." So yeah, yeah, yeah. So like- if those guys say it's amazing, I'm going to believe
2: it. Yeah, absolutely. And this this seems to be perfectly in line with kind of the company philosophy that you two share, um, which seems global to domination. Be- <laughs> That's exactly where I was headed. <laughs>
1: um and, and oddly I, uh frog cuisine but you know yes yeah yeah yes. yeah
0: <laughs> when when we take over frog soup will be the the demanded diet
3: That's That's disgusting will be the every time you dish. say it i'm just like oh yeah.
2: this is a real thing um <laughs> yeah yeah remind me not to join you guys for dinner at any of these conventions um it's soup but yeah, I mean, it seems like you're really taking efforts to try to simplify things and make things accessible that, um, you know, that allow people who have a lot of experience to still push themselves, but also people that have no experience at all to get involved.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's very few things that get more popular the more difficult you make it, and except for juggling, where you take a game of catch and try to make it as difficult as possible. <laughs> but... Yeah, simplifying anything makes it better. So,
2: is juggling part of the strategy?
0: Uh, no, but I used to juggle, so that's why I brought it up. Oh, did you really? Yeah, that's how I met my first wife.
1: <laughs> oh, there's a story there.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm not oh, sure what God. you mean by that,
2: but I don't think I should ask. So, Yeah, that's a, that's a you.
3: completely different podcast. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Next on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you're both a juggler. You're both headed to Neath then in a couple of weeks or a few weeks.
0: Oh yes, uh, we're, we're Kevin's coming out next week to set up everything and get it shipped out. Uh, I'm working on all of the materials now, so
2: hopefully we'll be set and ready to go. There are going to be any new unveilings there that uh, people should be excited about? There are a couple new
0: OTAs that we'll have out. Uh, the EQ8R that we've already launched, uh, but we did not have it for last neve so it'll be its first appearance there yeah
2: uh kevin anything else by the way that thing is uh... you guys really did a good job with that it um you know the the original so all of my beginning stuff you like you you two are responsible for me getting addicted to this so that gateway drug you were talking about it's real you're welcome. um my first (laughs) telescope was a skywatcher 12 inch daub which completely got me hooked. I, I still love that scope. And then um, my first astrophotography mount was the EQ8, which the I original it- EQ8, yeah, exactly the original. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I just i I found it so easy to use. You know, it was big, and the tripod mm-hmm. was just gargantuan back then. It was like, but I was carrying it around, and I was putting a big. I had a an Edge HD14 on that thing that I was doing Hyperstar with, and I I loved it.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. and the and the same kind of improvement the EQ6R is over the original EQ6, the EQ8R is the same kind of jump in quality and features. Uh, it's got all the internal cabling. It's got a lot more ports. Um, there's there's a lot more going on with it. And, and it's still, so yes, the original EQ8 was a great mount and still is a great mount, but the EQ8R is even better.
2: Yeah, I just liked that, you know, and I've had a lot of mounts since then, but one thing I really appreciated about it was I I would throw it with no case or anything just in the back of my SUV. And, I mean, it would rattle around back there and get beat up. And I just felt like it was pretty bulletproof. It could take a beating. It was having the mm-hmm. counterweight slam into it, and it just worked every night. You know, I'm not recommending that people, you know, throw them off the house to test it or anything. But it uh, it just it kind of had that feel like it was just rugged and was going to just continue to to do what it does. You know, no matter how much I—I I mean, I probably drove that thing four thousand miles. I bet going from dark yeah. site to dark site, just setting it up all across the country, and it never stopped working.
0: Yeah, well, it they, it is a beast. I mean, we've got uh, we've got a custom uh, plate being made. What Kevin? What uh, OTAs are we going to put on it at the show? Uh,
3: I think we're going to do a twelve-inch Quattro and an Esprit one hundred and fifty tandem mounted together. Um, on it to push its weight capacity but it'll hold 110 i mean you could theoretically squeak a plane wave 17 on it which i'd love to try um yeah that would look cool we should take your (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um it's it basically gives a, a more affordable observatory level like serious observatory level mount and kind of brings that down to where you know some people who want to do it can do it. You know, I, yeah. you want 110 pound capacity. You're you're paying 10 or north of 10 for a mount like that, and rightfully so for some of our competitors. But not everybody's going to be able to do that. So you you wanting to own a a C14 or even a Meade 16 and having that on an equatorial or one of our big Newtonians, it it gives you a realistic option that i think more people can grasp and um that's kind of the whole point of it
0: yeah one of the features for all of our products is of affordability i mean when you're talking about an eight thousand dollar mount affordability is is relative but still like kevin was saying i mean this is a 110 pound observatory class mount for you know depending on which model you get between six and eight thousand dollars
2: yeah and i think that that's that's the thing is it has this where i really think it fits in is for the user that knows they they want to have the big scope they want to go set it up and they're going to set it up for a weekend not just for a few hours and then tear it back down because it really was it was a lot of work to because i was setting it up every single night tearing it down Mm. every night that was a lot of work and i think something like the eq6 that you make the eq6r would be a lot better for something like that but the person that wants to set it up at, at these events like the um, the winter star party or these events that happen all around the country for a weekend or even a week at a time and you know, or even in your backyard just covered, that mount really does bring that observatory class uh, tracking and being able to image with, you know, 45 minute exposures. That's what I was doing with it mm-hmm. and still have this pinpoint stars at, you know, a, a substantial reduction in cost. I mean, you use a um you use bisque mounts for a lot of your stuff still, right Kevin?
3: Yeah, I I've, I've got the MX and the the Mighty and they're excellent, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard to you know, if, if we have a customer who's got an EQ6 and they want to jump up to that next level, it's it's really hard to tell someone that's like, okay, well now you got to spend 10 grand and it's just on yeah. the mount And Some people, that's cool. If you can do that, you know, go buy that Ferrari. Good for you. But (laughs) um, You know, but But there's a lot of really serious to be doing, you've got to know what you want to get into. You know, it's, and it's not that our customers can't do that. They're very capable of jumping to that, but there's a lot of people that maybe don't want to spend that kind of money, but they still want the punch and the ability to do it. So that's, We try to give balance to that. And, you know, we're friends with a lot of the higher end companies too. Um, So there you give respect where respect is due. And we understand at Skywatcher that you might not always be under our umbrella. And we understand it's kind of like your kid. It's like you raise your kid, they eventually grow up. And they're going to move on to bigger and better things. And we're glad to have you in the Skywatcher family, where it's long as you want to be here. And we try to provide the best we can. But we do understand that at some point you might want more precision and stuff like that. And that is where um, the higher end companies come in. And I've had this conversation with astrophysics where they can't really exist without companies like us, because we kind of bring those people up through our our lineup and eventually they want to strive to have that AP or BISC or whatever. Right. Um, and we're really happy to send them up there and rightfully so. But you know, we there there is a middle ground there where we find there are a lot of people that want to have that experience. They want to own that six inch APO refractor. But they they can't spend that kind of money so that's where the esprit exists or our evo star 150 or we want to give everybody the chance to own the dream setup without having to you know sell the yeah. house or the firstborn. born
0: so. you know, well and that's one of the other things that we offer we have a range if you want to try out astrophotography and you don't want to mortgage your house off to do it you know you can get an az eq5 and or one of our doublets. They're apochromatic. They're very well color corrected. So you can start off with a kit for like under six or $5,000 and, and figure out if this is something that I really want to do. And do I it, want to jump up and spend fifteen, twenty thousand on, $20,000 on a setup? And we've you know, so we've got a range of products at a range of prices that allow people to come in where they feel comfortable.
2: Well, and that's, that's kind of what I was getting at with the, the bisque question was, you know, I, I use BISC uh, mounts in our remote observatories because, um, you know, I'm trying to replicate the same thing over and over so that anyone that learns to use one of them can use all of them and they just work the same way. But there's a big difference in cost between like my BISC ME2 or even what you said. You said you have the MX Plus. I mean, that with a tripod, you're, you're talking about close to $11,000. So you're at Mm -hmm. double the price point for the same or, you know, the MX has less capacity than what you were talking about. So, um, you know, the EQ8R. And then, you know, I mean, there are a ton of benefits to these premium products like BISC. And there's a reason that with the ME2 that, you know, we're putting $15,000 mounts in each observatory. But that's not the mount you bring on the road with you. That's not the mount you take to dark sites, big ME2.
0: it's even for people that do want to have a remote um, but can't afford a $15,000 mount, right. $11,000 mount. Right. The EQ8R yeah. is a perfect uh, mount for remote uh, astrophotography because it'll uh, you know, it give you about 98% of the same performance at about half the price.
3: And speaking of uh, BISC, uh, we worked with BISC to actually have them write internal drivers to the Sky X for... SIN scan. So you can now get an EQ8 and you can do T point with an EQ8 or an EQ6R. Nice. Um internally. So um we're trying to simplify that even more to where you can actually just run the USBs direct to the mount and not need the hand controller. So we're trying to make it as easier as easy as possible with a lot of this stuff.
2: Oh, that's Um, great.
3: So it's it's a process, but yeah, there's there's I feel like the industry is a lot like a puzzle. And you know, everyone fits together as their own piece, and at the end of the day, we make this we make this awesome picture. Um, and you can kind of step in where you want to step in. And you know, you you have the people who are going to be the corner pieces, and you have the people who are going to be the middle pieces. But at the end of the day, when they all come together, it all works cohesively. So, yeah, we we may not make the biggest, baddest, most expensive mount on the in the world but that's okay because someone else does, but we're going to be right right here in the middle where most are going to be. So we know our place in the puzzle, essentially.
2: Do you think that you guys are the the oddest puzzle shape in the industry? Mm.
3: I, uh, I,
0: I would say we're in there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely not an edge piece.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'd like to ask you guys a question about... Um, some citizen science stuff with your scope, one with your equipment. Actually, one of the things that I'm noticing now, and I think we're on the the very upward slope of this interest curve, uh, is you know we were talking about uh, observing. Obviously, it's been around for a long time. Taking images, we've talked about the curve for that has actually gotten a lot less steep to take really good astrophotography uh, images. One of the things that I'm very interested in is live streaming, uh, as well as not, but not taking pictures, but actually doing science. For example, things like photometry of uh, transit curves from some of the candidates of exoplanets from TESS. And I'm 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 curious as a company, are you noticing any interest in stuff like that from your customers, or is that a real tiny minority of
3: um, there's finds. interest there's definitely interest there nasa has 16 of our 16 inch dobs something like that some yeah um, 14 or 16 yeah and
1: they use them for uh, uh they citizen use science them, or?
3: they use them for light curve observation actually so the reason the real reason this started was they this started in 2017 when we got approached with that um yeah they were using teams all over the world to try and observe a a, they were trying to collect a light curve of the next target for new horizons which has already occurred at this point but that
1: was right that was january a year ago yeah
3: yeah they were not that part of the mission would not have happened if the observations on our 16-inch Dobbs done in Africa didn't collect the light curve, so wow, that's really um, cool. Well, I think so they were in they, Africa
0: and Chile. They had yeah, multiple they, outposts.
3: Yeah, so they were they were had multiple teams watching for this real dim little thing just to catch the light curve, just so they could figure out, you know, how big is it? You know, what are we dealing with? And from those observations, they were able to confirm that yes, this is the target we're going to go. After And then, of course, in January 2019, they finally did the flyby and we got the shots that, you know, you now see. But none of the none of that would have happened if they were not able to have confirmed that with the observation that was done on our 16s. So that's really cool. So we have they keep buying them, too. So that I'm not that kind of bridges the gap on real, you know, pro science and citizen science. But they do have people volunteer to be part of those teams.
0: Well the the exciting part about that is they called us with a like with a month. It's like we need these in a month. And at that time I do not believe there were 16, 16 inch go-to tobs in the world. We managed to convert a whole bunch of standards that we had into go-tos and ship them within the 30 days. Wow. So yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty fun actually.
1: Yeah. Well, this must be I mean, I'm no expert on this as as far as a as a as a you know, the uh, market or anything goes, but this would seem to me to be a growth area because I'm getting involved with groups now who have equipment, the worldwide variable star hunters, they have their own plane wave. They are looking at, they're, they're working directly with the test people. They have the minor, the minor planet center, all of these observations that they're doing, as well as this guy who's called asteroid hunter, who has a, set up in his room where he uses a C11 and a C14 to look for asteroids and follow-up observations on NEOs. And I tell you, it's, it's, it's the setup he's got rivals anything I've seen in the NASA control rooms for the Hubble Space Telescope. So it's, um, it's, it's there's an interest there, it seems, in amateurs to not just use this equipment to take images uh, and not just do like cute little observations from your backyard that maybe you could contribute here and there. But this is like an integral part of real astronomers' research, right? You're plugged into their d- databases directly. You're doing observations directly with uh, with uh, with NASA and and the Tess Exoplanet Research Center. So
0: well, actually, uh, Kevin. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think we're still set to have a star adventurer go up uh, to uh, the International Space Station. Oh, wow. (laughs) In in order to do, yeah, so they're going to be tracking the sun as they're orbiting the Earth, taking images of, I don't remember which wavelength it is, but it's a wavelength you cannot shoot from the surface of the Earth.
3: Yeah, what's, so we, the, what's the
1: rotation rate on that going to be? Because the, <laughs> the ISS is going around the Earth pretty quick.
3: Uh, we have that somewhere. The firmware actually already exists. Um, the mount is already, it's just a standard star adventure, but it does have a, it, it yeah, it's made to be polar aligned. And at that point, you would just, you know, it would work exactly the same way. It's just in zero gravity Um, So they can technically put their Nikon 600 that they have up there on this tiny little mount, and it will track at the rate and watch the sun go by.
0: Yeah. The software has already been written for it. It's ready to go. We're just waiting for uh, the astronaut that's taking it up to, to go.
1: Well, that's exciting. My goodness. So, wow. Yeah. Definitely love to hear how that goes out or how that turns out. Oh
0: yeah. We'll definitely be talking about it when that happens. Yeah. But, but it's, but it's also like, uh, uh, New products. We don't talk about it until you know it's on its way.
1: Well, what do you think of that statement? Do you think that it's that it's a growth in a growth part of the market? Uh, with this kind of use for telescopes. Do you well, think it's more and more people.
0: I, th- I think it can be as as consumer products for astronomy get more and more sophisticated. It's just a lot easier to do real science with your products at home. So. Yep. i i don't know that it will be a growth industry but it certainly has the potential to be
1: yeah i'd be curious to see how that plays out too i i i spend hours with some of these guys who have equipment that is doing work that we i've done with professional observatories uh setups and now i want to start doing it you know i want to start getting involved because this is this is right up my alley i love taking nice pictures and and i love looking through eyepieces but this this turns my crank i really like to Mm -hmm. learn more about the doing science part
3: of it i think it's more of a knowledge thing you know you you have a lot of people coming in they're like oh i want to get my pretty picture of orion or andromeda or whatever um Mm -hmm. and they get that but i think you do get some people who have this itch that they want to do what's the next challenge and yeah um that's where you start to step up into you know that kind of semi-pro level of citizen science where you know okay, you've you've done the imaging thing and now you see them pulling those off and they're doing spectra or they're doing light curves or what have you and um, start feeling like you're doing something for the advancement of knowledge um, at that point. So I I think it makes it, it's another tier up and I know not everybody's getting into it, but I think it's more of a knowledge thing overall because people will find out as this gets more popular it's like, oh, I could do that with with this. It's like, yeah, you you've got know, everything. You've got at your fingertips. You just don't haven't made well, the connection. Then, yeah.
0: <laughs> and at uh, and I think most of the industry feels this way too. Because at uh, at the Advanced Imaging Conference this last year, uh, uh, there was a video where uh, Simon Tang went around and interviewed a bunch of the different people uh, in the industry. And towards the end, it's about everybody was talking about how. You know, the we can use amateur astronomy to actually increase uh the awareness of science and, and the ability of science to improve uh what we're doing. Um and I I truly believe that the the amateur astronomer can provide a a lot to
1: the professional industry. And they are. And the the, yeah. the, the and the, the real drive too is that this is where discoveries live, right? This is where stuff gets named after you mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing real research. I mean, we've all heard of the the scams that were from the you know the pe- decades past where you could buy a star and have a star named after you. Well, this is the this is the area where the IAU you might actually discover a minor planet or a comet that no one's seen before. And amateurs have done that before, but I think it's about to explode. I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of thing. Well, so the more the product is.
0: Yeah, the more product you get out in people's hands, the more it's likely to happen. So. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Well, that's really cool. All right. Wow. Well, we've been an hour on this, Dustin. Do you have any other questions? Should like no, no,
2: I? No, no. I really appreciate you guys joining us today. It's always yeah, definitely. It's always a pleasure oh. when I go to an event and I see that you're there. You know, it's I know that it's going to be an interesting conversation every time, and I always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I appreciate you having us. It's been a, it's been fun.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you, uh, Jeff Simon and Kevin Lagore from Skywatcher USA. Take, thank you for taking time out to talk with us about all the cool stuff your company is doing. And I want, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. <laughs> that sounded like I was falling. It did. It yeah. did. <laughs> so keep looking up as you're falling.